0: And welcome to the Destinate NZ show. I'm Michelle. And I'm Chambers. And today is the penultimate episode of our New Zealand Tourism Awards special. Woohoo! Chambers, can you believe? Ten down, one to go. Honestly, I did not realise how big a
1: mission this was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think either of us did.
0: <laughs> we thought it was a great idea. It was a great idea. But wow. Wow yeah it has been a lot of work I think by the time we get to next week we will have interviewed 30 different people wow So yeah it's a a big undertaking but I've really enjoyed it yeah me too and uh, no doubt when we wrap
1: up next week we'll have a bit of a chat about some of the themes that we feel like have come out of these interviews
0: Yes. Hey, now you will have seen, well, I know you saw because I shared it with you as soon as I saw it. We went to number two in the New Zealand marketing charts this week. (laughs) So just do a little bit of a celebration for us and for all the guests that we've had on the show and obviously for all the listeners who tune in because there's no way that we would get to number two without the listeners because it's all based on number of downloads. So thank you to everybody out there. I was so chuffed when I saw that and I logged into my little rating program. That um, I subscribed to. And yeah, just super, super exciting.
1: It was so exciting. And where we were positioned and who we were positioned above, I was blown
0: away. Yeah, yeah so same. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So, and while we're celebrating success, I'm going to be a little (laughs) bit cheeky, put a little plug in for the Australian cricket team. The T20 Cricket World Cup final. Oh, my goodness. I woke up at 3 a.m. on Monday morning. I have to say, I don't think Monday was that productive across the country (laughs) because a lot of us were awake at that time of the day and stayed awake for the rest of the day. But yeah, it was a great result for obviously for me being Australian yep. not so much for the Kiwis. No. <laughs> Nor would they have appreciated the early morning start just
1: for a loss. But never yeah, mean.
0: absolutely, especially after being up early the day before to watch the All Blacks lose as well, but hey, we we better keep moving because <laughs> I, I have a feeling that a few people might switch off before they've even started listening if I keep rubbing it in.
1: Yeah, quite. <laughs> Anyway, we have to announce the winners of the mountain bike competition from last week. We asked you to enter on Instagram. and Tell us who would you take if you won the full day, full suspension bike hire. And Michelle, do you have
0: the entrance there? I certainly do. I've got them all here in my little pile. And our winner is C. Milson. So that's Catherine Milson who is taking Shane Redpath with her on the Dipper Biking Track in Rotorua. So congratulations, Yay. Catherine. We'll be in touch with you. We'll announce that on our socials very soon. Oh,
1: that's awesome. What an exciting day they'll have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, now, Chambers, before we get into our guests, what did you yes. think of the news that came out yesterday about this $36 <laughs> million that's gone missing from MIQ? I know.
1: I know what a shame. and. We've talked about it once before, at least once before on this podcast, how the ITOs were asked to pivot, and this would have been a perfect opportunity for them to pivot into. Because,
0: yeah, I can't see any ITOs losing contact details of people who stayed in hotels. We're just going to say that. So, shout out government if you're listening. Talk to the tourism industry. We know what we're doing. We know how to run these things, and. You'd have 36 million bucks in your bank account of our money if you had have done that.
1: Quite, quite. I know. What a shame. What a missed opportunity. Let's hope it's marked down for next time. If there is one, hopefully not. Anyway, (laughs) moving on, (laughs) we welcome three finalists to the show. And once again, they all share some great stories. First, we welcome a double award finalist, Sanctuary Mountain, Monga Tautari. We were joined by the marketing manager Freeman Ehu to talk about their first category and that's the Tourism Industry New Zealand Trust Community Engagement Award. So Sanctuary Mountain began with a dream to protect the plant and animal species living on the monger. This ancient ecosystem has been recognized as a reserve since 1912, and nearly 100 years later, the community came together to restore and protect this precious environment with a pest-proof fence. They hope to inspire both the national and worldwide audience to get involved in environmental and wildlife conservation. They work in partnership with the local iwi, landowners, the community, and both government and non-government entities. This ensures the longevity of the fence and the well-being of all that exists in its precious monger.
0: Yes, and then we welcome Paul Norris from Real NZ, which is formerly Wayfair and Real Journeys, to the show. Real NZ are finalists in the DOC Conservation Award. Now, Paul is believed to be New Zealand tourism's first chief conservation officer, previously general manager of Real Journeys. He received the New Zealand Order of Merit in the New Year's Honours List 2021 for services to the tourism industry and conservation. Founded back in 1954 in the largest untouched wilderness area of southern New Zealand, Real NZ is one of the country's leading sustainable tourism companies, renowned for its work in conservation. Now, Paul has very kindly donated a Doubtful Sound Wilderness Cruise for one of our listeners and a mate. So experience the spectacular remote wilderness of Doubtful Sound on the guided trip journey across lake Manipuri, over the breathtaking wilmot pass and into the heart of Fiordland national park this is a must do for nature lovers and explorers alike and it's valued at 400 dollars so head across to our facebook page or instagram page to enter mm,
1: absolutely and we've both done that trip and we rate it highly so absolutely if you can get your hands on a free one do it <laughs> <laughs> And finally today, we welcome Kerry from Miranda Holiday Park. Kerry and her husband Josh took ownership of the Holiday Park about two years ago, just before COVID hit, and have achieved great success since then, despite the challenges of COVID getting in their way. They are finalists in the Tourism Talent Employer of Choice Award, and it's pretty clear to see the real love and care they have for their team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we get going, we do just need to mention the Dart River competition because we only have one week to go. So we know there's a lot of you listeners that are sitting out there waiting to listen to all of these episodes before you tell us which one is your favorite. Well, now is the time to go to destinatenz.com forward slash competitions. It's right at the top of the page. You just have to click on a link and tell us what your favorite Destinate NZ show episode is and why. It's really easy. And that's the Dart River Funyak Safari Trip. So, yeah, don't miss out on that either. We're giving away so many amazing activities and experiences across the country. So get on board and check out the website and see which one you want to be part of. Absolutely. And take a note of these amazing experiences. And even if you don't win it, make sure it's on your to-do list to do the next time. (laughs) Yes, because there's nothing stopping. I know a lot of our listeners work in the tourism industry, but that means that we should be out there walking the talk and having these experiences ourselves so we can tell all our guests and visitors about them as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so we hope you enjoy the show. Please don't forget to share with your colleagues and friends and we'll see you next week for our final episode of the New Zealand Tourism Awards special. Ka kite. Ka kite. We're
1: back with one of our Community Engagement Award finalists today. We are very happy to welcome Freeman Ehu from Sanctuary Mountain to the show. Kia ora, Freeman and welcome
2: kia ora uh, thank you very much for having me on the show today
0: kia ora freeman and welcome can you start by telling us a little bit about sanctuary mountain and what
2: you do there yeah most definitely so sanctuary mountain maungatau city is a completely pest-proof fenced uh, sanctuary uh, the largest in the world of its kind uh, so because of the fence uh, by preventing pests and such by going into the forest it allows the forest to grow in ways, I guess, pre-colonial times. So it's a snapshot in history where you can basically visit and see where the, the goals of conservation of Aotearoa are, are heading towards. A bit about my role at the sanctuary. So yeah, as mentioned earlier, my name's Freeman. I'm the marketing manager at Sanctuary Mountain. I tell everybody at the sanctuary that I've definitely got the best job because I get to do all of the cool stuff and none of the gross stuff. <laughs> um, so in, in a nutshell, I do all of our social media stuff and our website and, and I basically just get people out to experience the forest um, and experience yeah, the magic of it all. So the best job wow. in the world.
1: That sounds awesome. So with your community engagement, what does your program at Sanctuary Mountain look like?
2: Well, it's Sanctuary Mountain Mangatauteri, it's a volunteer-based project, which started uh, well over 20 years ago. Um, I was uh, a kid in one of the local primary schools, Kikiku Primary School, when they first started talking about the project back in 2000. And even then, um, it, was, it felt like a dream. It felt like something that couldn't necessarily ever happen. But, you know, 20 years on, the sanctuary still stands today. And it's still run um, by a majority of, well, a lot of our projects are, are still volunteer-run. Uh, and those are just local people in the community, local landowners, of people who have been there since the start. So a lot of our project is the, the way that we engage with the community is because the community built the, the, the sanctuary itself.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool. And mm-hmm. can you step us back through the history of why it was developed, where it is and how that came about?
2: Yeah, most definitely. So, Mangatauteri, for those who, who aren't too sure where it is geographically, it's located uh, in the central Waikato. So it's in between, say, Cambridge and uh, Rotorua, almost in the, in the centre of that. Because of where it is geographically from a cultural, traditional perspective, it is in almost the, the centre of the, the Kingitanga area. So it has a lot of significance to a lot of the local iwi and a lot of local mana whenua and such as well, uh, which means that it's really culture-rich. So Whenever we do anything, we engage with the local iwi, local mana whenua, and make sure that they have a say in what, what we're doing. Um, because mm-hmm. a lot of the time, we're representing, as mentioned earlier, what it was like pre colonial times and pre cultural times. So it gives the people of the local area in Waikato Waipa area something to something that isn't so general, it is very specific mm-hmm. to this area. I was just provide something different in terms of not only from like a tourism perspective, but from a community perspective, because people can come from all over the country that might fuck a puppet to this manga um, but mm-hmm. might not have ever visited before. So they get to come and they get to actually experience what's happening at the sanctuary from a conservation perspective, but from a community perspective, they're able to engage with their own local Iwi and such as well and develop those uh, relationships further and then obviously bring that back into the manga and into their their own homes and daily lives as well.
1: Awesome. So you've just reflected quite a bit on the community there, but how do you get them involved and keep them active? And how do you recruit them to be involved as volunteers?
2: Most definitely. So from a volunteer perspective with COVID and how the situation's been the last month and a bit, has been a little different, but mainly uh, we, we focus with online channels. So people can email us or they can get in contact with us on our social media channels just by hearing what we've been doing. On our social media channels and such, and our, our monthly newsletter, we share a lot of the projects that we've either just finished or we have coming up. Uh, so a lot of the time people share uh, or will reach out because they want to be involved in such projects. So for example, this year we had a uh, Titipaunamu Rifleman release at the sanctuary. So it's just a little tiny green bird for those yes, who didn't cute.
3: know. Yes, Very
2: cute, cute bird. So we actually had a lot of volunteers come out and help us with that for the releases and such as well. Uh-huh. Um, and we had the local uh, children from Pukia to a school at the bottom of the, uh, the monga come and help out on the releases as well. So that's how we get people involved with conservation and we show them ways that not only that they can do it once, but they can do it multiple times uh-huh. and then they can do it in places that they live and such as well. So they can take a piece of the monga back with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nice. <laughs> that's nice. And how do you balance the feedback that you receive from both staff and visitors? Mm.
2: Great question. So I guess the way to balance everything is to, well, in my opinion, because I've worked the, as the marketing manager, is I've kind of delegated certain sections to different to different people. Because mm-hmm. we're dealing with, because uh, currently on our rosters, we have 200 plus volunteers, 20 plus staff currently, and we've doubled in staff in the last 12 months, plus the, the thousands of volunteers and, and partners that, that help us throughout the year. So it's a big job. So by having people that are specialized in those areas that can handle the feedback to, to funnel things upwards when they're needed to is that the easiest way that we can manage between all the stakeholders that we have. And thankfully, a lot of the stakeholders that we have are very vocal. So mm-hmm. they do find a way to, to let you know their feedback, regardless, <laughs> if it's, you know, regardless of what it is, they'll find a way to tell you. It. And COVID hasn't prevented that either. I think that's just found a way for everyone to evolutionize how they communicate and, and find easier ways to still connect during these times.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And what kind of what tangible or quantifiable results have you seen with your community engagement program?
2: It's great that you say it, because in terms of visitor numbers, which is our, our most tangible thing that especially when you, you know you're talking to some of the big wigs, that's what really matters, how many people we're getting through the gates. Mm-hmm. And prior to, to this last month and a half's lockdown, we were almost nearing pre-COVID numbers, uh, even without international uh, visitors. Oh, hey. Yeah, so we were getting very close to being able to reach yet similar numbers, and that's mainly because people are probably unable to go to Bali for the holidays and things like that. But it's, it comes down to, I, I personally think, that people who are around and who are visiting want to be part of projects that support local. I think a lot of what, what COVID has especially done in the tourism industry has made people realize actually how special their own backyards actually yeah. are. Yeah, and. Like- like me personally, like I, I'll put my hand up and say that I'll be the first person on a plane to Bali if I could. But <laughs> at the same time, I'm also the first person to say that, you know, I experienced more of uh, my backyard in the last 12 months um, than I have probably m- my whole life, if I'm going to be honest. And it's something that, that I'll, I'll always treasure. And that's something that I apply to my job every day.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast and just that reconnection with nature that Kiwis have had over the last 18 months. And and we think that when we do come out of all of this and borders start opening, it's actually a benefit to a lot of the tourism businesses because you've had so many locals experience their backyards. They can now be advocates and marketing voices for you. So that's got to be a positive, right?
2: As a mm. marketing manager, it's definitely made that easier, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> and from yeah. a, you're exactly right. From a tourism perspective, like internationally, I'm getting messages every other day from people like in, in the States, you know, in Australia saying, hey, look, I'm double jabbed, when can I come? and I was like wow hey it's not really up to me
0: (laughs) if only
1: Uh, (laughs) only.
2: but at the same time it just showcases like you were saying the uh, the people that visit have become our greatest advocates because they're sharing our posts online when they visit they're sharing their their experiences and digitally is the only way that people can connect with with us anyway so that's been a, a big bonus for us
0: yeah that's perfect and have you seen any unexpected results from what you've been doing
2: I guess the the most unexpected if, if I'm going to be honest is just hearing because when you work at a place like an animal sanctuary you think that the thing that people want to see the most or the content that people engage with the most are the animals at the end of the hmm. day right but I think the most surprising thing for me which at the end of the day isn't as surprising as I'm making it sound is that the most engaging posts that I've had at the sanctuaries uh, from a marketing and analytics perspective are the posts that talk about like the fence at the sanctuary oh, okay. uh, and the posts that talk about the volunteers and the people that work at the sanctuary yeah I guess from the feedback that I've received is a lot of people know that it's an animal sanctuary but they don't know what makes it special and and the fence you know I see myself if I'm going to be honest and my wife if she was around she would agree too like birds aren't normally my best friend when I go to the beach <laughs> seagulls attack me and my wife like <laughs> straight away so like, uh, so to work at a bird sanctuary is is, is quite ridiculous <laughs> if you if you are <laughs> past Freeman. But since working at this current sanctuary and being around these birds and these tawonga every day, yeah. um, it's completely changed my perspective on it. And because of that, is why I actually come out and at the sanctuary more. My dad was a tradie, so he loves the fence, and he's always asking about like how it was built and so, you know, how long it took and what it takes to fix it and that, that's when I say well hey look it's all these resources and all these volunteers and people in the community who keep this going and when the fence falls down in the middle of the night it's our rangers or local landowners who get up and fix it so it's um yeah it takes a lot of the community to keep the place going
1: yeah wow <laughs> cool. wow how big is the fence I'm just intrigued
2: uh, so in total if you went around the monga it's uh, mm-hmm. 42 kilometers of fencing uh, wow. and then we have an extra five kilometers of fencing um you know, throughout the sanctuary and stuff as well how high is it so it's not the tallest maunga in the area in total the land there is about thirty-seven thousand hectares but if you were to walk to the summit and back you can easily do it in four hours three hours so it's not the, not the biggest mission of a walk
0: mm, cool and is the sanctuary is it set up as a charitable trust
2: mm. yeah so maungatau to the ecological island trust um, is the the trust that initially started mm-hmm. the fence and started the build Yep. Uh, and Sanctuary Mountain is just the, the front-facing aspect of it, the, the brand, visitor experience yeah. sides of it.
0: Yeah. Oh, cool. And what do you want your community engagement to look like in the future? I mean, this is obviously a project that's been set mm. up for hopefully forever. Yeah. It would be nice yeah. if we didn't need predator-proof fences to keep our native safe. But what does your program look like when you look ahead?
2: Looking ahead, it's one of these things we're working at a sanctuary is definitely Different to working in a normal workplace, if I'm going to be honest, because I come from a corporate background. So, when when we're doing projects and things, we have like an end goal and we have like an end date and we have and we work backwards. Whereas at the sanctuary, the 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 has been here for 65 million years and it's going to be here for <laughs> a lot longer. So, the, as you mentioned, that the the real goal is to have Altioro pretty much predator free, pest free, and for there to be no need for offense. If we reached out our genuine goals and our know, if it took a 100 or 1,000 years, that was what, what they expect to be. In terms of what we're doing at the sanctuary for the next um, few years uh, to involve the community, in February, we are starting the build for our education centre, which is going at the front of our visitor centre. I mean, that's going to be where we host uh, a majority of our schools throughout the, the winter seasons. At the sanctuary, currently, we have school uh, tours and school visits almost every other day at the sanctuary, Monday to Friday. Um, mm-hmm. But that's more during the spring and summer months, you know, when it's a bit drier. Uh, but mm-hmm. during the winter, it can get to like minus four in the sanctuary um, at midday. So obviously we don't want to be taking kids in there, but they can still experience the fence. They can still experience the outskirts of the, the forest and such. Uh, so that's where the education centre will in. So that's what mm-hmm. we're going to be doing in, in February, hopefully, if, uh, oh. if covered permits at least. Yeah,
1: awesome. Let's hope so. that's an exciting project. So I guess success for you would be um, tearing down the fence because we are predator-free all throughout Aotearoa.
2: <laughs> yeah, eventually that is definitely the goal. Predator Free 2050 is, is a stamp that a lot of us are working towards. But I guess obviously the real goal is obviously not to, to need a fence, but to have a deeper goal within that, within society is for everyone to be a bit more mindful of the, the impact that we have on, on, on the planet and things like that and how we can integrate that into our daily lives and such as well.
0: Hmm, cool. Awesome. How many different species do you have in the sanctuary?
2: I mean, just... Birds alone, we're talking 30 plus, and then you yep. talk, well, I was just about to say, and then you include things like bats, which might be controversial considering <laughs> it's a, a bat, bird of the year.
0: That's a bird, which, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well,
2: I mean, it, it depends if you come to our staff meetings or not. But in saying that, we have tons of species from uh, insects, geckos, lizards, uh, totara at the sanctuary <laughs> and such as well, and yep. freshwater oh. crayfish on the, um, the manga. So we have, okay, yeah, a, a tonne of different things that people didn't expect to see in their backyard.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome. Awesome. I have been to Mungato today, but it was a few years ago now. So we're we're actually lucky enough to go and check on one of the Kiwi that you had there when I was there. So, yeah, it was really cool. But anyway, Freeman, that wraps up our questions for today. So thank you so much for joining us. It's always so inspiring to hear what our fellow tourism businesses are doing to engage with their communities. And it seems that you guys are doing a fabulous job up there. this isn't the last time we're going to talk to you we'll be back next week to have a chat about the other award that your finalists in and there shouldn't be too many surprised listeners when we say that it's for the Doc conservation award after the chat that we've just had so look forward to chatting to you then and we'll see you next week
2: awesome take care guys we'll talk next week
0: talk next week The Conservation Award recognises an environmentally sustainable tourism business that embraces kaitiakitanga and the protection of our natural, built and cultural resources for the benefit of current and future generations. We welcome another finalist for this category now, Paul Norris, Chief Conservation Officer with Real NZ. Kia ora, Paul, and welcome to the show. Uh,
4: kia ora. Great, great to be here.
0: Kia ora,
1: Paul. There have been some big changes at Real NZ recently, including the name change. So can you start by telling us a bit about your business and why you've entered the Conservation Award this year?
4: Yeah, sure. So obviously Real NZ uh, has been a a tourism company since 1954, right back to when we started out as field and travel and obviously through to Real Journeys and Wayfair in recent times. Real NZ is a a brand name for our business. And uh, right since the day we started in 1954 with our founders, Les and Olive Hutchins, We've always been a business built around conservation. 80% of our trips that we run are in the World Heritage National Parks and the regions that we operate, and and in particular, Rakiura and the Fieldland National Park are are two in particular that we operate a lot of our excursions in. So So it's a natural thing for us to be involved in conservation and purely a lot of our staff that work for us and our customers that join our excursions are doing it for those reasons. So it's just a natural fit for us.
0: Hmm, that's nice so you mentioned that the business has always been wrapped around conservation can you talk to us a little bit about what's involved in those programs like obviously we know your tourism businesses really well but what's the work that's going in behind the scenes from a conservation perspective
4: yeah so one step change that we've just made since we moved into really instead as an organization was the appointment of the chief conservation officer which was actually myself and yeah. so um uh, <laughs> I've had a, a long history with this company, I've worked with it since 1993, from mainly in operational areas, but right through to the um, recent times general manager of the, of the tourism part of our really Re- Re- NZ group, but had a great opportunity um, recently to move into this new role as chief conservation officer. And, and the background behind that is really to, to make sure that um, we're being true to our, our values of being a conservation business enabled through tourism. And so I guess I've often said to my staff I've always been very passionate about it but the sort of thing that you did it got a few hours on a Friday afternoon to get around to getting onto it and then it your day job but now with this step change for our organisation I've got a full-time job with 40-50 hours a week.
1: day job yeah
4: <laughs> it's a real difference over time
1: excellent so Paul how do you communicate the conservation efforts internally and externally
4: yeah, so internally, I'll start with that first. We have a number of sort of forums that we use. Um, we have a workplace through Facebook page where um, it's an internal comms and, um, and all our staff have a lot of that and there's various pages within within that, one being a consultation and sustainability sector. So we, obviously, anything that's happening through the business, we share it on there. Uniquely we've got various um, other forums through, you know, staff newsletters. We do weekly um, updates throughout our, our Our chief executive, Stephen England Hall. So we're feeding messages out through that way as well. So so I guess there's multiple ways that we engage internally with our staff, and that's part of also because of geographically where we operate. There's a number of corners of our business where you know cell phones don't work, and so you've got to adjust adjust your uh, communication for the audience and, and how you can communicate with them. Externally, we obviously through our comms division within the business we we push our messages on things that we're doing Uh, and yeah and just with our customers we have data logs our databases that we share information out with through those ways as well
0: Hmm. awesome that sounds great and you mentioned that you think your customers are choosing your experiences because of the conservation side of things what data do you have and what feedback have you had from customers on the trips that they do post their experience
4: yeah, look. Some of our trips, and in, in particular, I say, let's say, more skewed towards that way, um, like our overnight cruising on places like Doubtful Sound, Milford Sound, and obviously the multi-day trips, particularly we do in the Southern Fiords and around to Rakiura, and also some of our other excursions, like the ones we do, a wild Kiwi Encounter excursion mm-hmm. down on um, Rakiura Stewart Island. And so, I guess a, a lot of people that migrate to those sorts of excursions um, th- through our staff, hopefully they get a, they get well hosted, um, they get educated, and, and often. Use a phrase that people make a conscious effort to sort of, I guess, buy and go on those sort of excursions because they want to learn and be educated um, on on what they're doing. And if our staff are doing a good job in that space, they naturally get a well, hope the experience that exceeds their expectations. And then through that, they keep engaged with our business. And where we can sort of back that up is through Facebook postings and different ways of and and naturally, we they a lot of them become repeat customers or be our I'll say our best marketing people because so they share it through word of mouth with their friends and, and mm. families. And uh, and that's, to me, is almost the best compliment you can get with people coming on your trips. And they've heard absolutely. about it. It's, it's, it's...
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you encourage the staff to become involved in the conservation efforts? And do you specifically recruit people who show um, an interest in conservation?
4: Yes, we do. One, one initiative that we've just, we put on board as part of our launch with Real NZ is that we made the announcement that every staff member can have a, a paid uh, year to, to take part in conservational sustainability work. And and I guess if you look at it across the Real NZ group, it's not just tourism. Obviously we, we own a couple of ski fields being Cadona Ski Field and Pebble Cone Ski Field. And as an example, we've probably got, at any one time, whether it be winter or summer around about 1,000 staff on our payroll. And if you Hmm. times that by eight hours, that's a lot of time that can be spent and um, honed in towards conservation initiatives. And so that's just obviously been recently announced. And now part of my role with some staff that work alongside me is to sort of, I guess, make best use of that 8,000 hours of uh, pay time to make a difference in conservation in our region. So uh, certainly up to it. It's a a good thing. And, And obviously it's an example of why our staff Choose often to come and work for a company like ours because they truly want to, I guess, to be seen making a difference within conservation or sustainability in the areas that we operate. And in fact, they demand it off us. So Mm. that's one thing we're doing to try and make uh, more of a difference in that space than what we currently do.
0: Mm. Yeah, Um, that sounds really cool. That is a lot of mm. hours when you (laughs) put it that way. (laughs) I did like that. That Yeah, staff. Paul what results have you seen in the past like obviously you you've been measuring some of those activities that you're doing in in your region and what are you hoping to see in the future with this step change to becoming a conservation really conservation enabled by tourism
4: yeah and, and i guess um good question michelle look one of the things we've always been doing it but probably like a lot of businesses maybe not the best at documenting everything and you know we, we're doing a lot of good things we just yeah, I suppose a typical Southland way we we don't like to shout out and talk too much about it. But um mm-hmm. but we but what we want to do now is actually start measuring those sort of things. And so mm-hmm. that we seem to be making a difference. Just last week I've been getting around the business, meeting various teams of staff within the business and hearing about what they're currently doing within their regions, but then also what they want to do to make a difference going forward. And uh, and through that, we we're, we're starting to build up a what I would suggest, like a portfolio of things that we can do and make a difference on the ground in the areas that we operate. And there's always those, what I call those aspirational projects that we also get involved in. One or two we've got going, but there'll always be more in that space. But most importantly, in the short term, we want to get some projects off the ground that the staff can buy into. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. and actually, and from, I guess, my point of view, the team that worked with me is also start collecting that data so we can sit down each year and we can actually... Part of our sustainability paper that we put into our um, annual report, we can actually truly start um, saying, well, actually, as one example, the Wilmot Pass Road, which is a road between Lake Manapuri and Doubtful uh, Sound. It's a 22-kilometre road, and we've just taken over um, running the stoke trapping programme on that on that road. It's about uh, just under 200 tracks. Mm, and through our cool. staff, that we're doing it, we'll collect data, monitor it, you know, see what we catch. But then hopefully over time, we'd love to see the number of uh, stokes, rats, since we catch, drop down. And conversely, if we go out and do, through the Department of Conservation, do one or two bird counts, and also things like that, we'll we'll be able to see that we are starting to make a difference in those areas. And then, collectively, then our staff can feed that sort of information back into their um, commentaries and interpretation that they're giving to our guests as they're travelling through on their day trip or overnight trip through to the Apple Sound. So it's sort of
1: Hmm.
4: one one area that we want to, one example, I suppose, of how we want to make a... um, you know, a different set, and and, it, and it's truly staff buying into it, and it's done as almost business as usual. It's not you feel guilty about going to check the traps. You know, that's yeah, that's what I'm doing today as part of my job. So
1: right, yeah, mm-hmm. perfect. So you've obviously got staff buying, which is awesome. So how can your customers get involved with your conservation projects?
4: Yeah, so so in this situation, the, the Cooper Island project. So we set that up in 2016 as an organisation. We worked with the Department of Conservation. They have an aspirational goal of making the whole waterways of Dusky Sound predator-free. So we we sat down with the Department of Conservation and basically look, we're a pretty big company, so we should we should pick a big island to um to look after. So we took on Cooper Island, which is an 1,800 hectare island um, within the Dusky Sound waterways. And what we've done, we have we run a multi-day trip on board one of our vessels, the Milford Wanderer, and it does a six-night, seven-day trip through the waterways of Fielden. And part of that, we obviously spend two or three nights within the waterways of Dusky Sound. And so people that go on that trip, they pay um, $100 of their fare we put towards the conservation project that we're running on Cooper Island. But alongside that, we do other initiatives. We've got just over 400 stoke traps on the island, different sort of traps. And so what we do, we we bought those traps, but we've actually Mm -hmm. been sending them back to our customers. So part of when they're on the trip, they can buy a trap. Back, back for the company of $155 mm-hmm. which is what the, the company costs to buy them but with that we take it a step further our our contractor that goes down there and does the maintenance and the pest control work on the island all those traps are like a GPS has got a number on etc mm-hmm. so you know if you bought trap number 123 as an example the three or four times a year we're doing our pest control work down there you'll get a trip report back from our contractor in the field about what he caught what we did do what progress what sort of sound like bird songs etc or mm-hmm. things he noticed on the island and so as a customer you get those reports you know as long as you keep accepting our emails and, oh. and it's quite amazing how people keep associated with that project through they were down there they literally saw the island they heard the stories from our nature guides on the boat in part of the area they made a conscious decision to buy a trap potentially at the end of their trip and then they just carry on getting the trip reports that we go through and and the reason I sort of how I see success in one level is that the amount of questions that we get back coming back from a customer that might have traveled three or four years ago, based on a comment that Jared Hill, our contractor, might have made in one of his reports, it shows mm-hmm. that they're still truly engaged in what's going on. And then in a simplistic effect, we kind of think that hopefully then they're taking those messages back into the communities that they live and doing their own backyard conservation work, et cetera. And uh, it's a win-win uh, from our oh. point of view. And it's not a hard sell. Customers love it. Yeah,
3: yeah
1: Definitely. So they keep that trap for life, do they?
4: Yeah, so they, they do. So we actually had to go and put another 90 traps on the island because we ran out of selling the junkie. Wow. <laughs> we <laughs> we've got okay. another six days of trap line just in the last three or four months, which we had, we also put traps onto. And so but even as another example of trying to like, I guess through conservation and connect with the communities that we live in, we our local golf club the, has a Fuel and Golf Classic, which is a large golf tournament. And they asked us, would you like to have a Sponsor a hole-in-one and so which we did and so we went and set up a cooper island stand we spoke to the about the project to the golfers as they were coming through and they could put in whatever they wanted as a donation towards it and we got a hole in one we'd give them an overnight cruise thankfully no one did but but as simplicity we also raised about uh, just under two thousand dollars through another way of connecting with another part of the community who are generally mm-hmm. conservation work but they were golfers not not tourists but yeah but, you know, so there's just trying different ways of, you know, engaging with different parts of our community in New Zealand.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. And you guys are obviously very big players in quite a small part of the country. How do other businesses or can other businesses get involved in your conservation projects as well? So you've got your staff and your customers involved. What about mm. the wider community?
4: Yeah, so what, one thing we're doing at the moment, we're associated with our company, we have the Les Hutchins Conservation Foundation. And so, um, Les and Olive Hutchins the founding uh, members of our, or founding people started our company. Back in 1994, Les donated a substantial sum of money to start the foundation. And through that foundation, now we have ways of our, through our, our customer base and also our wider base for people to donate money into the foundation. And then in turn, through the foundation, we, we give out grants to some key areas. One is obviously conservation work, but equally in getting, always with school children and potentially people that may not be able to afford to get into the conservation state through various reasons, but make it accessible for them. And so that's like another area. And we also, some of our projects that we're starting to put up around the business worm conservation, people can like specifically start donating into those projects through the foundation. And obviously with that also, we want to make sure this thing about it's not just a question of taking money off people. We want to make sure that they hear about right. what's going on, and not just once. Hear, I say, keep saying for every time through, gauging through, through our website, all through us um, databases, keeping their back because, because it, that's quite important. See, people have chosen to put their money hand in their back pocket, pull out some cash, give it to our foundation. So rightfully, they they should carry on hearing about what's going on mm. you know, as long yeah. as they being connected through our email groups or how it is we're connecting with them in a, in a communication sense so yeah that's quite cool and stuff like that yeah.
1: absolutely and you've talked about all these different ways that you are communicating with customers businesses and staff but what one thing would you say is championing the Tiaki promise and the new zealand tourism sustainability commitment i
4: guess keeping it simple and making it making it real so, but just keeping them but just making it easy for people to get engaged in uh, mm. conservation through tourism at whatever level it may be because if a local school to take them out and do something to field with them versus a corporate group coming on an excursion with us you, you just got to connect to the audience and, mm. and make sure you're adding value to it and hopefully leaving one or two I guess lasting memories that they will carry on when they get back into their communities and hopefully in one and kind a of small way make a difference hmm. yeah. nationally to the 2050 project what we're trying to do as a whole cup
0: Country sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Well, Paul, that wraps up all of our questions for today. So, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all the incredible work that you're doing down at Real NZ. You have kindly donated a doubtful sound wilderness cruise for two people valued at $400 for our listeners. And believe me when I say this is something you absolutely must do in your lifetime. My boyfriend or now husband proposed to me on a Doubtful Sound Cruise. So there you go. (laughs) And we also know that one of our other industry friends also just got engaged on the Doubtful Sound Cruise. So Anna Black and Andrew, which is very Mm -hmm. exciting. So ladies, if you're waiting for that special proposal or guys, if you're looking for that amazing place, jump over to our Instagram and Facebook pages now to enter this prize. You don't want to miss out. And Paul, thank you once again. We wish you all the best on the awards night. Mm-hmm. And can't wait to hear what you get up to next.
1: Yeah.
4: Great. Thanks so much, Tim. Enjoy the interview. And uh, yep, people that come down and particularly visit Alpha Sound. It's an amazing location. Yes, where our company started. And no one goes over there coming back feeling like it's always exceeded people's expectations. So thank you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, right. Paul. Cool. Kakita. Okay.
4: Great. Mata wa.
0: welcome one of the tourism talent employer of choice award finalists Miranda Holiday Park. We're joined by Kerry who is one of the owners of the park. Kia ora Kerry and welcome to the show. Hi thank you. Kia ora Kerry. I'm
1: going to ask a difficult question. Can you start by telling us a little bit about Miranda Holiday Park?
3: Yeah, sure. So we are, obviously, what it sounds like, a holiday park. We're located about oh, 45 minutes to an hour out of Auckland, about an hour from Hamilton and up on the Shorebird Coast, So, which is near Kaiawa in the Firth of Thames. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're a pretty big park. We've got 25 staff members, 36 different rooms and uh, 100 different sites. And with the hot pool on site, we are busy All year round, we don't really get any quiet time, which is
0: good in most aspects. It's sometimes a little bit daunting, as you can imagine. Yes. And yeah, that's about it, really. Oh, cool. Well, you are in certainly a pretty stunning part of the country. I'm well aware of Miranda Holiday Park, having been there many, many years ago when I worked in camper vans. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Can you tell us, Kerry, what makes your company culture unique and attractive to your team and prospective employees?
3: I would probably say it's, it's the way that we go about looking after our staff. We, instead of looking at, say, an employer-employee relationship, we try and make um, it always to be an equal balance. No one's greater than the other. It's all about, you know, communication. It's all about family and supporting each other. We have ourselves three small children, so we realise that we would need a hell of a lot of support when we took over this and Mm -hmm. the only way we were going to get that support was by I guess making a culture here that we look after each other. You know, there's times that I'm gonna fall apart and need help, just as that there's gonna be times with our staff that fall apart and need help. So just yeah, just looking I think it's just looking after each other, showing gratitude, owning our mistakes. You know, we had never owned a holiday park before, so I was always hey, I need help, you know, tell me your ideas, what am I doing wrong? getting everyone involved rather than just coming in dictating this is how we want things done making it so we are we're all leaders in some respect
0: yeah
1: yeah awesome and over the last 18 months we've had pretty tough and challenging times so
0: (laughs) how have you
1: managed to stay connected with your team and check in with their well-being over these last 18 months done anything particularly special you want to share with us
3: Well, I'm really big on mental health here. Mm -hmm. We have people from all different walks of life and we have a lot of, I think we've got maybe probably five young girls that come from the local college as well. I wanted to set the example and talk constantly and openly about mental health, about my past struggles, having depression, and let them know it's okay to speak about it and it's okay to not be ashamed of these kind of things and that life is never going to be completely even. You know, it's almost like a seesaw where it goes up and down. Mm -hmm. So when, with this last 18 months, it's been really, really difficult on so many of us, whether it be financially or emotionally. I mean, currently we've got a lot of our staff that haven't seen their family or friends up in Auckland Mm -hmm. for a long time or they've had someone that's died or there's been a whole lot of things that's gone on. Mm -hmm. So we've all had times that we are just not coping. So yeah, we just basically my biggest thing is all about talking. So I try and have moments with every single one of my staff each week, just personal moments. So then, you know, how are you going? Just just chatting. Is this the lag? And then that gives them a opening that they can speak. And we encourage all the other staff to to speak openly. Mm-hmm. We also set up a what's it called a like messenger page that so when we have been in lockdown away from each other. Mm -hmm. We can all communicate still and and set up little tasks like, I'm going for a walk today. What have you guys done that's been good for yourself? And things like this. So, we're constantly checking in on people and making sure that they know that we're there and we're all there together. No one's alone in in all of this madness at Mm -hmm. the moment.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it certainly is tough times. What do you do to support your team's professional development and upskilling opportunities?
3: Yep, so basically we, with all of our staff, we offer them courses to do through Service IQ. Currently, I think we've got five of our staff members doing different courses. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whether you're in the office or whether you are a house cleaner or you are the pool boy or man, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) We offer them courses. So we pay for their courses and they can study with our help as well for free as well so they get paid to study So we've had some really good results I've got a big pile actually behind me that I'm sending off this week because our lady can't get in so yeah they just it's really incredible to see also their sense of achievement when they they finish their housekeeping course and some of them maybe haven't studied for 20-30 years and were like very nervous to do it Mm -hmm. and then they've done it and then they've got great results and they're just so proud of themselves and we're so proud of them. So obviously mm-hmm. once you pass the course as well, we give you a pay rise and, and celebrate. So yeah, yeah it's, oh, it's been wow. really neat. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. And do you think by doing this and offering these study packages and, and then obviously the reward afterwards if they pass, which is awesome, do you think that's helped with staff retention? And how do you kind of measure success? Like do you have KPIs in place or anything like that?
3: Yep, yep. So basically, it's definitely, yeah, the retention, it's definitely working with the studying and everything. I mean, we go a little bit more above with things as well. So yes, with the payrolls and things like that, they also um, have the ability every month we have what I call Kerry's APAs, which we look at attendance, APA means, you know, attendance, professionalism, and attitude. So mm-hmm. as long as they're meeting those three criteria, for me they get an instant bonus each month. So that makes basically, and then we also give them things like a travel allowance for every shift, which is tax-free, because we are kind of in the country and people do have to travel quite far to come to us sometimes. Mm -hmm. So then it it definitely makes that it's good for them. They get more money. It's also great for us because then we get the consistency. We don't get staff not turning up and things like that. And then we get the great attitudes that come with it because in the end it's not that hard to come in and be do a professional job and and have a smile on your face and have a bit of fun at work. So, yeah, it's it's good.
1: Yeah, it
0: sounds like a lot of fun. Kerry, how long have you been at Miranda Holiday Park, and have you won any other awards for the work that you're doing with your team?
3: Yes, we have come in just over two years ago. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, so just over two years, guys. So hmm. we have had a bit of a crazy run with the. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you sure have. <laughs> <laughs> Timing wasn't oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> and yes, we have won other awards. I think we were the runner-up for our grounds hmm. the first year. I think that was the PPG award. I can't remember. Sorry, and then this. Yeah, we got the visitor experience award Oh which is yeah yeah which was so great because these things it's more about the staff it's not really i don't think it's about us so much it's about the staff being so amazing to our to our people so it's really their award if you make like mm. it's very cool
1: mm. oh. And you've obviously talked about quite a few different success stories and, and how you reward your staff for their successes, but is there anything specific that you do to celebrate success within the workplace? Say, for instance, if you win this award, what would you do to celebrate it? To
3: be honest, I didn't even imagine that we would be winning any kind of awards. I <laughs> <laughs> like, I just think in your first year or first couple of years of business you just don't think you're still sometimes trying to find your feet and get things running really smoothly and you're doing a lot of background work. So I I guess we haven't considered kind of that, oh, we are going to get any kind of awards. So it has been a little bit, I guess we've been very blown away by what we have already had. But yeah, so I mean, I think with us as well, we quite often just celebrate everything whether it be every sunday we do a big shared lunch that we pay for with the staff and we all sit down and talk about our weeks and our successes and and just laugh and we, we do a lot of family stuff this week on wednesday all the families came in we did a big barbecue and opened up our Shim box so we constantly i don't know selling just just being You're happy with any kind of success yeah. Well, yeah like just always trying to bring in the family kind of thing and just to, to make it a family, to keep it a family, not just about working. You don't just come here to work kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Sounds like you've built an amazing culture there, Kerry. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it is. It's, it's very, yeah, I love it. It's, it's, it's my home. I live on site. So oh, nice. Yeah, it, it's great. So I, yeah, can't ask for more.
0: <laughs> so the team that you have in place now, did you inherit a lot of those when you bought the business or have you had to build the team from scratch?
3: Um, no, we did inherit quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. We had some leave. I guess you could say when we took over, the morale wasn't great here. Mm-hmm. The culture wasn't great here. And to be honest, for me, who had only really worked in male-based industries, everything that i would learned about managing before, I had to, I guess, throw out the window and mm-hmm. then learn that, I guess, women sometimes what i used to do wasn't going to work here and i had to change myself and and the way that i dealt with these women sometimes they'd have you know just the emotional side and different things like this so yeah it was a big learning curve for me obviously i wasn't thrilled with some of the things that were going on when we took over but it's all about change and then we've got a really good team like this place i think they it was struggling to find workers And then now we don't have that um, problem anymore. And we're very lucky we've got people lining up that want to work here. Because we look after them, we have a great team. It's it's just a really great environment kind of thing. So, yeah.
1: That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Look, Kerry, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your story. We love what you've done at Miranda Holiday Park. It sounds like you've built an amazing culture, which has been recognised by the fact that you're a finalist in this award. So congratulations. We always love to celebrate those that celebrate our people. And it sounds like you do. So well done and good luck on the awards night. Excellent. Cool.
3: Thank you so much, ladies. And
0: thanks for joining us, Kerry. Good luck. Okay, see you later. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Talk